The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. And then um, for those of you who've been coming to this class in the last few weeks, you know that I've been doing um, a series on the Eightfold Path, and I'm going to put that on pause tonight and continue it next week. Um, tonight I'd like to explore a little bit more about this, um, a piece of the practice that in particular um, I learned in connection with the this receptive awareness practice, but it's also very generally useful for us in any kind of meditation practice. And that is in checking or noticing our relationship to our experience. So this is um, a very simple check-in, basically, when we are practicing. And, and this is, is useful in daily life as well as in our sitting practice. That when we're practicing or when we're engaged in anything, actually, it can be useful from time to time to check in. Well, And how am I relating to this? What's going on kind of behind the scenes about this? Because very often... Um, there's, there's, there's all kinds of things going on in our mind that we are not so aware of. And, and when we're not aware of relationships, attitudes, views, beliefs, ideas, they're kind of running the show. They are... Um, our habits, our patterns, the ways that we've been conditioned, the th- choices we've made in the past, the ways that we've engaged... With, with, um, with experience in the past tends to be how we continue. As the Buddha said, whatever one frequently ponders, that becomes the inclination of the mind. And if we're not aware of that inclination, if we're not aware of the, the, the conditioned patterns of mind, they will tend to continue. And this, this, um, these conditioned patterns tends to be where and how and why we struggle, why we get caught, why we get reactive. Our, um, our reactivity is basically conditioned by our experience in the past. And if we are not aware of these relationships to experience, if, if, if we're not... Um, if we're not mindful, if we're not cognizant of what's going on, then those patterns, those habits will just be reinforced. And these patterns tend to be reflective of what the Buddha pointed to in terms of our, um, our reactive mind. They tend to be based in greed, aversion, delusion. And so our usual meditation practice, we are asked to put our attention on something. We are asked to, to check in, what you know, pay attention to something, start cultivating this mindfulness. And um, there can be so many different kinds of relationships going on that we might not even think that are happening. So, in, in pr- for instance, if you're paying attention to the breath, there could be there could be relationships to the breath itself, to what's being experienced itself, um, liking a particular breath, not liking a particular breath, um, f- 
wishing it were longer and deeper or slower or fuller, whatever. We might have some relationships to the experience itself. And we also might have some relationships to kind of the the meditation attitudes we bring to the meditation also. Like, Like really wanting to hold on to the breath or trying to force ourselves to stay with the breath. So there's all kinds of things that can happen in the background in our meditation that if a very simple check-in, just how am I relating to this right now? Just every now and then from time to time, how am I relating to this right now? And when I, when in suggesting that and suggesting a kind of a check-in in that way, I'm not suggesting that you try to figure it out, try to figure out what your relationship is because sometimes it's not going to be so obvious Sometimes it's going to be a little bit deeper back in the mind and not so clear what what the relationship is. And so if you check in, and you can just use a question, you're just like, how am I with this right now? Or what's my attitude with this? Or what's my relationship to this? If there's nothing obvious that comes up, you know, just keep going with whatever your, your practice is in that moment. Just continue with the breath or continue with whatever your... Um, you're practicing with this this can be used in any form of meditation just to kind of check in how am i right now in relationship to the meditation in relationship to what's arising right now and yet sometimes something may become obvious sometimes it's just like all we need is just to scratch the surface just slightly and it'll become really obvious i don't like this breath or i don't like that sound or wish this would go away or boy, that feels really good. Boy, I, 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 I want more of that. So we might, we might see just with a little check-in something very obvious there that hadn't been obvious before. So there's... I mentioned that many of these relationships to experience are based on greed, aversion, and delusion. But there's also a fourth basic flavor of relationship to experience that I want to point to and then I'll talk a little bit more about in more detail later. And that is the basic okayness with experience. In the guided meditation, I pointed to this, that checking in to how are you in relationship to experience, sometimes the answer is, I'm fine with this experience. And that actually is something we don't notice very often. We don't tend to notice fine. We don't tend to notice okay. We much more are likely to notice um, things being off. And so sometimes we can begin to recognize, oh yeah, actually I'm okay with this. And that begins to point us to some more um, quiet kinds of states of mind, like calm and ease or peace. So that's the fourth flavor of relationship to our experience that sometimes when we check in, and sometimes when we check in, as I said a minute ago, you might not notice anything in particular. Sometimes you could, you could check in if there's nothing particularly clear or obvious in the moment. How, what am I, what's my relationship to this? Well, I don't know. You could try on, is it Okay. Is this okay right now? Just You could try that on because, again, you know, we don't tend to notice that so much at times. 
So as we begin to recognize our relationship to experience, um, and this is a way in our meditation to begin to uncover kind of the deeper currents of our mind, the deeper habits and patterns of our mind. When, what, when we bring our mind to our meditation, our mind is, it, it's kind of like a little microcosm of what happens to us outside in, in daily life. So the habits, the patterns that we've cultivated in daily life, we tend to bring those to our meditation. And so when we start recognizing our relationship to experience in meditation, it's very likely there'll be some similar or familiar patterns that we have in relationship to things that happen in our, in our, in our day. And so this, this is a way to begin to understand how our minds get caught, how our minds struggle. These habits of greed, of aversion, of delusion, they are kind of the foundation. The Buddha points to these as the foundation of why we suffer, why we feel dissatisfaction, unease. There are things happening in the world. Of course there are things happening in the world that are uh, uh, unjust and that um, are, are painful, And yet the Buddha pointed to this quality in our minds of greed or aversion or delusion of of like a a squeezing down around experience, a pushing away, a confusion and not understanding what to do as being something that we can begin to explore. And, And he proposes that when those things are happening, that they're extra, that they're not necessary for living our lives, and that, that the freedom from those creates a life that has a lot of, um, oh, what's the right word? I'm just thinking of something like fluidity. It, it ha- it, there's, there's much more of a sense of being able to flow in life rather than feeling like we're fighting with life all the time, fighting and struggling with what's happening. And so the, the, the beginning to see or touch into the mind that has these qualities to it begins to help us to, to um, understand how and why our minds get caught and struggle and suffer. And so this is, this is the Buddha's proposal that these, these three energies, greed, aversion, delusion, that they are extra, they are optional, and that we can release them, that they can be released through the practice of Wise effort, wise mindfulness, wise concentration, three aspects of the Eightfold Path will come to in a few weeks. <laughs> but these, these, um, these tools of our practice to look at our experience. When we start to explore what does greed feel like? What does aversion feel like? What does delusion feel like? And hearing that they are the kind of root that creates our struggle, our suffering, our stress, we might think that our job would be to get rid of them. That we, that we should try to figure out how to stop them from happening. But that's not actually what the Buddha, what the, the, the Buddha's instructions propose. Instead, he suggested that we understand 
those energies, understand the suffering. And that understanding, not, not an intellectual kind of understanding, but an understanding that comes through being with the experience, an understanding that comes through a curiosity of what is this experience? What is the human experience of greed? What is the human experience of aversion? Not what is this not following through or acting on that greed or aversion, but, but in, in, in meditation in particular, just being curious about it. What is this experience? That sounds so counterintuitive. To me, it certainly sounded counterintuitive when I first met the practice and was wanting to understand and explore my anger. It was, it was so painful. The anger was so painful. And the instructions were, notice your anger. It's like, what the heck is that going to do anyway? Because it just feels, won't that just make it worse? But actually, very quickly, as I began to explore, just noticing it, just, wow, that hurts. Okay, yes, angry. I know I'm angry. That's what's happening in this moment. Don't know much to do about it, but yep, I know I'm angry. And okay, I guess I go on with my day. That's about how I worked with it in my first few months of my practice. Just noticing it. And, and very quickly, actually, it began to shift through this very simple exercise of just noticing it. And so this is, what, this is the medicine the Buddha offers us. To become aware of these energies not to try to fix them or get rid of them, but to become aware of them and through that awareness to begin to understand them. The understanding is what transforms them. And as we understand these energies, as we understand the energy of greed, for example... Greed, the the first of these relationships. That wanting, that leaning towards. Wanting to hold on to, to keep something. We're all familiar with that energy. That wanting, desire, reaching towards. And yet what we don't usually do do is investigate that itself. What we usually do is act on it. We usually lean and follow that, the imperative of that wanting, and try to get that thing, get that, whatever it is, follow through on that action. And in that, we are missing what the experience of wanting actually is. Because we're not really aware of the wanting itself. Instead, we're more focused on what we want. And we're more focused on the idea of having the thing that we want. And so we are missing, what does wanting actually feel like? This is a turning towards experience that is not so obvious. Why would I want to do that? 
as we turn towards it, we begin to recognize that in the very experience of wanting, there is a kind of a, a, a suffering in the moment. There is a feeling of offness in the moment, in the very experience of wanting. As soon as wanting arises, there is already a feeling of lack. Something's off. Something's wrong. We, we don't have something that we want. And so that, that moment of wanting, there's already some, a problem. And wanting is telling us that the problem is that we don't have that thing. Wanting is not going to tell us the possibility that if the wanting releases, there'll be a completely different relationship to experience. Now, it might, it might not be, I mean, it might be that when the wanting releases, that we just realize that we don't really need that thing. But it also might be that when the wanting releases that we recognize that out of generosity or love or compassion there's a movement towards doing something. And so this, that there can be a shift around our motivations, around our relationship as, as the as we witness or as we are curious to explore, as we notice, okay, what is the relationship right now? It's a wanting. Can I know that wanting? Can I be aware of it? Just that simply, can I know it? Rather than acting on it. And then maybe seeing something shift or change, seeing the wanting release and seeing something new happen, something different. A different relationship can spring up to that situation. And so in the exploration around these relationships, greed, aversion, delusion, the encouragement is just simply to notice them. As we bring our mindful attention to them, there's this wisdom that grows. And part of the wisdom that grows around, in particular, greed and aversion, is that greed and aversion are not conducive to well-being in the moment. That as we allow greed and aversion to have their way, we are essentially giving up well-being in this moment for the hope of some kind of happiness in the future. And the happiness that is available from that kind of energy, the kind of energy of greed and aversion, the happiness that comes from getting what we want, from getting what we don't want, that kind of happiness the Buddha pointed to as, yes, it's a kind of happiness, he said, but it's not a very reliable or lasting kind of happiness. It's a fleeting happiness. And so we just end up continuing to search for more of those because as soon as they come into being, they, they tend to start, they start falling apart. And so the following through on those energies of greed and aversion, for that moment, that fleeting moment of happiness, we have given away a more 
a deeper kind of happiness in the well-being that comes as the greed, as the aversion release. And this is the wisdom that, that begins to grow in our experience. That when we meet with mindfulness these energies of greed and aversion, we see this is not well-being. Our system like gets a different kind of education around the value of greed and aversion. Before we start looking at greed and aversion directly, we don't question their belief that they need to be acted on. As we start observing them, we begin that our system begins to understand there may be a different way here. And there, there, there starts to be a, it's like our, our system begins to find a different way to navigate life when it understands that these energies are not conducive to well-being in a very deep level. But we have not seen this. We have not seen this. And so this is somewhat of a challenge for us as we practice with checking our relationship and seeing, oh yeah, the greed, the aversion, it's, it's all over the place. It's like, it's popping up everywhere. And, you know, we might immediately have the sense of, wow, you know, this is, I, I just want to get rid of this. Well, that's more aversion. And the habit of wanting to get rid of things we don't like. And yet the, the encouragement is just to, to recognize it. As we recognize it, it's actually, I mean, what we're learning there in those moments of seeing, wow, I don't like this. Part of why, why we don't like it is because we realize that it's not conducive to well-being. And so that is the education. We are getting the education that it is painful, that it's not in the direction of freedom, of, of, of a deeper kind of happiness. So it's challenging when we start and see just how much of this is going on in our minds. And yet, seeing it with mindfulness is actually good news. When it's not seen, when it's kind of just, you know, sometimes when we start seeing it, it's like, oh, it's everywhere. But seeing that it's everywhere is better than not seeing it because it's everywhere anyway. If we're not seeing it, it's just kind of popping up here and there, creating messes here and there because we're not aware of it. And so becoming aware of it is good news. And this is actually the kind of the way that this works is that we, we explore opening to, recognizing, okay, what's my relationship? Oh, there's some greed, there's some aversion. Sometimes it's a lot of greed and aversion. It's not always just little bits. Sometimes it's, it's, it's big. Sometimes there's a lot that comes up. 
And we need to learn skillful ways to work with it because sometimes we might see um, so, so there might be like a pain in the body or something and a real aversion to that pain a real pushing away a real kind of um, resistance and it may be at times when we, we try to look at that resistance that that, that it just creates fear and more aversion and anger and, and more fear and it just kind of spirals out of control because our, mind, our mindfulness isn't quite ready to really meet that level of challenge. And so sometimes we need to learn skillful means to step aside from a difficult situation, a difficult uh, reactivity. Sometimes there are different ways, different approaches for this. I'll, I'll offer just a couple right now. One is, um, depending on how strong it is, I mean, it, if it's not that strong and you can just know it, okay, just that's, that's what you can do. You just, okay, yep, this is, this is that pain and I don't like it and that's what's happening. And I can be okay with that. I can be okay that I don't like that pain. Ha, huh. and we've landed in okayness we've landed in that kind of that fourth kind of relationship because we have acknowledged that aversion so that's 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 one way that this can work we we see something happening like a pain we we recognize oh there's aversion to that oh and it's okay i can be okay that i don't like that pain that's just what's happening if that's what's happening you can just notice that. And yet sometimes the pain and the aversion, the aversion can be much stronger. And it may be that we, um, we, we don't have an okayness about it. We notice that there's a reaction to the reaction to the reaction. One time the Buddha used an analogy of around these relationships to, um, to somebody who'd gotten hit with a dart or an arrow. And then um, that, that, that first arrow is just the, um, the, the unpleasantness of whatever, the unpleasantness of a pain or something that happens in the world. And then that our relationship is like a second arrow, a second dart that makes it feel way worse. And sometimes we have a third, a fourth, a 15th, a 126th arrow. We just have a kind of a cascade of of reactivity to reactivity to reactivity. And when that's happening and we don't, we aren't really able to be with the relationships, then sometimes it's useful to just put your attention on something else. Open your eyes, maybe do something that you know calms you down. Go out, go out into nature, listen to music. Take your attention off of that situation because it, it, it probably is just pulling you into the rabbit hole of it and is reinforcing those patterns. When we, when we get caught in those patterns, it just tends to, to reinforce them. And so finding a way to step aside, sometimes finding something like just feet on the ground. That's what I did at one point, noticing anger coming that, that was just so strong. Whenever I tried to be mindful of it, it would pull me right into it. And I would just like 
put my feet on the ground and take a walk and notice my feet contacting the ground. And I could do that. I could stay with my feet and just let the, let the anger be. Not, not look at it, but also not repress it. So this changing, I call this changing the channel sometimes, or just kind of a not now, not now approach to a very reactive pattern. Um, and if, if you're doing that, if you're stepping aside from it, it's really important to not repress that difficult energy. To not try to stop it or, or, or bury it. So when I did that, when I um, noticed the anger and I noticed that it was difficult to be mindful of it at the time, um, I, I said to my anger, I said, okay, you can take a walk with me, but I'm going to pay attention to my feet. So it was, it, was, it was just a kind of a redirecting. It wasn't a trying to ignore. It wasn't, well, it wasn't ignoring, but it wasn't a trying to repress that anger. So this is one one thing that we can do. Sometimes it's possible to um, um, to allow there to be the ang- to be whatever the reactivity is that difficult um, relationship, but not focus on it. Sometimes the when it's a strong energy, it's like it's got a ma- it magnetizes our attention, and it that it just like our our attention just wants to go right to that that energy. And sometimes we can make the container bigger and just consciously recognize, okay, yes, there's seeing happening right now. There's hearing happening right now. There's other body sensation. Oh, yes, and there's that reaction. Oh, and there's seeing happening. Just kind of rotating through various senses, consciously pulling the attention away from from that thing and noticing that there are other things going on in the moment. So working with greed and aversion in particular, we do feel often when we open to it with mindfulness, we do feel the, the pain of it, the unpleasantness of it. And yet that is a part of the learning. It's not a mistake. Actually, they're unpleasant because they're not helpful. <laughs> and so the the um, the learning is happening as we are meeting them and holding them with mindfulness. Sometimes we begin to get a flavor of holding them with that okayness. Like I described, you know, okay, yeah, there's that thing happening and don't like it, want it to go away. And I can know that. Yeah, that's what's happening there's that pain and I want it to go away. And I'm okay. I can be okay with that. And in feeling that okayness, we get a sense of a different relationship. We, m- we might touch into just a little, it feels like, it feels completely different to be aware and mindful of that painful experience in the relationship to it, then it feels to be caught in that reactivity. It feels very different. And we begin to get a sense of that. We begin to taste the space around, that re- uh, around the reactivity, around the difficulty. And we, we begin to get a sense of, 
wow, I can actually be okay while something challenging is happening. This is a real lesson for us, to have that, that taste of that possibility. I can be okay while something challenging is happening. I can not be all encircled and tied up in it. I can have some perspective. I can kind of see around, make some choices, and, it, and I can know that it's happening. So this is, in, in noticing these relationships, noticing greed, noticing aversion, this is what the, the instructions encourage us to do, is to begin to be aware of these relationships. And it begins to put, put us back or point us back to the possibility of this balanced relationship. In fact, the way we find our way to balanced relationship is through by curiosity about our reactive relationships. There's pretty much no other way to get to that balanced relationship than by being curious about our reactivity. We really like to be able to, like, just jump over it. But the way the, the way our minds work is that if we're jumping over it, basically we are kind of repressing it. We are not, and in that repressing it, 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 it just kind of goes underground and will resurface again. And so I'm reminded Many of you know that going on a lion hunt, going on a lion hunt, you know. <laughs> I was just reminded of that. The, 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 you do this kind of thing and you run up against all these obstacles. You run, come to a river and you're going on a lion hunt. You come up to a river and have to, go th- have to cross it, have to go through it. Can't go over it, can't go under it, got, can't go around it, got to go through it. With everything that this this little child's ditty comes to, you have to go through it, and that's what you have to do with the with our relationships too. We have to go through them. We have to meet them. We not go through them, buying into them, but go through them with a different relationship to them. This re- relationship of mindfulness, this relationship of curiosity. What is this experience? And this begins to transform them. It transforms them. And we get the taste of okayness. So I've talked some about greed, some about aversion. The, uh, another of the big relationships is delusion. There's so much to say about delusion. Um, I'll just offer a few pieces here. This is, it's, it's, it's the hardest one of the three to really see, to really recognize that it's happening. But I'm going to offer you some information that might help you to recognize delusion, that delusion is actually working. We might think that there's no way to actually know delusion by, because of the nature of delusion, but it actually is possible to know delusion, to be aware of it. Different ways that delusion comes about, and probably the most common, the one that most people um, would think 
that delusion is, is basically non-mindfulness. That when we are lost in thought, disconnected from the present moment, there's, there's a form of, of delusion happening. And often in that space, our habits and patterns are running the show. They are, they are at the fore. Our, our, our conditioning is just unfolding based on what our prior conditioning was. So often we are acting out of our greed and our aversion based on our conditioning. So that's one, one, one form of delusion is the, the kind of disconnection from experience. And different ways it can be ex- um, noticed. And um, you know, so spacing out we could think of as a form of delusion. Um, sleepiness, restlessness also could be considered forms of, of delusion. Um, and yet we can also become aware of these. So being spaced out, being sleepy, being restless. It's possible to know sleepiness when you're sleepy. It's possible to know restlessness when you're restless. Spacing out's a little more, um, um, a little more subtle, but it's also possible to know that when that happens. And so this is, this is kind of the most obvious, the grossest form of delusion, these kinds of states of mind that kind of, that tend to disconnect us from experience, tend to disconnect us from the present moment. But they do not have to disconnect us from the present moment. We can be another form of, of um, um, maybe a more obvious form of um, this kind of, of delusion as a relationship might be um, confusion. So something's happening and it's like, what do I do with this? I don't know what I do with this. And then the mind maybe spins about it. It might spin, that would be the restlessness, or it might just kind of go to sleep, which would be the, the kind of the, the spacing out or the sleepiness. So those are, those are some ways that delusion shows up. But by far the more pervasive ways that delusion shows up is through beliefs, through views, we can be present, we can be aware and be unaware of a belief or a view or a perspective that we have lived with our whole lives. There's so many different ways that views are created. We have our own personal views, our own kind of just based on our own, our own lives, what's happened to us in our lives, um, our beliefs about who we are, what we're capable of. And then there are views that come in through our culture, through conditioning, through society, through our families, these are, are, are even more sticky in a way because many people around us may share this perspective. You know, cultural views, societal views, they tend to be shared and so there's less questioning of them as views. They tend to just be believed as true. When I first started um, traveling overseas in my um, in my 20s 
that was one of the things I really liked about going to a different culture was, was starting to see, oh, wow, you know, so much of how, I, what I thought was just the way human beings interacted, how close they stand, how long you make eye contact, whether you touch somebody that you know, or whether you, you shake hands, or whether you, how you greet somebody that you are meeting for the first time. All of these things are, are cultural. They're, they're, they are, they're, they're norms that are, that are created. And, and to, they are, there's so many of those that we, we, we hardly know that we are operating with this kind of set of views and beliefs. And so this is, this is a, an avenue to explore around our relationship so if you're exploring your relationship to experience, you, know, you might notice some kind of confusion or some kind of checked outness. There might be a sense of, yeah, just kind of not wanting to know that. But you also might be curious about what's being believed right now. And, and that because beliefs also underlie greed and aversion, this is a pretty uniformly useful question. Whether you're stuck in confusion, whether you're in a a state of aversion or of wanting, there's some kind of belief going on. The beliefs are kind of our beliefs are kind of our, the ground out of which all of our Actions, our ideas, our reactions, they spring from. Views are so pervasive and so powerful. And yet usually we don't know they are there. And so this is a form of delusion. When we are acting from a view that's a view that we are taking to be truth, This is a form of delusion. And this happens to us all the time. We live in this kind of delusion. And our our mindfulness practice can begin to help us to recognize that we are essentially not seeing the world as it actually is. We are seeing the world based on our views. And this is quite amazing to, to, to see this. The, there, there are studies done about um, when there are particular views or agendas. It can even just be as simple as an agenda. There's a simple, simple like thing that, task that needs to be done then the mind will pull things out of the environment that are needed for that agenda and not see things that are not related to it. Actually, our views create what we take in. And so this is, this is one of the main reasons it's, it's, a, it's a form of delusion. It's like our views are like a filter on our experience, letting us notice certain things 
and, and keeping us from noticing other things. So we can begin to be curious about our views, about our beliefs, through this, a, a simple question, what am I, what's being believed right now? What's being believed? Sometimes the beliefs can be very surprising and sometimes kind of inarticulate. You know, it might just be like, bad. <laughs> that might be all that comes up as a belief that that is bad, that is wrong. So that, that just, just beginning to, to notice, okay, this is, this is the belief, this is the view that's here right now. Sometimes we might see views or beliefs that are, um, you know, really kind of old. They, 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 they often come in from, from our conditioning when we were quite young, some of these views. And we may have a sense or, or we may recognize that we have a belief like I, like, I don't deserve this or, you know, I don't, I don't belong here or I don't deserve this or this isn't for me or something like that. And then we don't even consciously believe it. It's like when, when it becomes clear, when the view becomes clear, we recognize this doesn't even make any sense. And yet it's often because they're so deeply ingrained, we often can't just simply tell ourselves, well, don't believe that then. I mean, I I had a lot of views around, that were related to self-hatred, views around unworthiness, that I was a failure, that I was no good, views along those lines that were related to this feeling of of self-hatred. And in recognizing those views, I couldn't just simply tell myself, well, stop believing that. Even though I could see, you know, objectively, I'm not a failure. But still, there was this belief. And so what I began to to recognize is that, that it's useful to acknowledge, oh, this is what's being believed. Not to try to convince myself to not believe it, but to notice, oh, this is a belief. Because even noticing it as belief even recognizing, oh, this is a belief. It's like it, it, it undermines the, um, the taking it as truth when it is acknowledged as a belief. I guess it, it like maybe creates a little space around the belief to not be Truth. And so that even just the recognition of this is a belief can be very powerful. If you try to convince yourself to not believe it, what I find is that that belief, because it's so deeply conditioned, those, those deeply conditioned beliefs, um, if, you, if you try to rationally convince yourself to not believe it, it strengthens that belief. It's like it just it just re- it retrenches, and so it's it's like you, it's it's like an aikido move. You come into alignment. This is what's happening. Yep. Okay. Believing is happening. This I'm a failure. That's what's being believed. Okay. That's what's being believed right now. And you might be able to add to that. Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. Just to give a little bit of 
reinforcement that this is a belief. So there's so many different kinds of views. I don't, I, I can't really um, go through a kind of a, a catalog of them at this point. Um, but just be curious. Curious about what is being believed. So that's a little about greed, aversion, delusion. And I want to take the last couple of minutes to talk about the okayness, the relationship of this is okay. I mentioned earlier that it is, it, we don't tend to notice that as much. You know, okayness just gets lost. I actually played with this, at, you know, I just was playing with this at one point in transition moments or just places where, you know, doesn't seem like there's much of a problem. Like, I'm stopped at a stoplight. Not much to do here. Okay. If I'm, if I'm not late, so this is kind of a exploring this kind of a practice if you've given yourself enough time to go someplace. Every place you have to stop at a stoplight. If you have enough time to get there, okay, yeah, I'm sitting here at a stoplight. Nothing I can do about the stoplight. I can't make it change any faster. Anxiety and sitting here with my hands clenched is not going to make it change faster. And, and here I am sitting at the stoplight. I can be okay with this. It's non-suffering can be subtle. You know, that we're not, we're not in caught by greed or aversion or delusion there, just, just that, okay, it's okay. We don't tend to notice that. There's a lot of those moments in our day, actually. Moments of, of just okay. If you can begin to become attuned to that, it begins to open us to a whole host, a whole realm of flavors of relationship that are connected to okayness. Contentment could be one of those. When we are okay, it might feel like allowing. Just like, yeah, this can be allowed. That allowing can have a flavor of friendliness of even love or compassion. And so when the mind is not reactive, there are many different ways that there might be a relationship that can be a a wholesome relationship. The flavors of the Brahma Viharas, of love, of compassion, of joy might be there. The balance of mind, of equanimity might be there. A feeling of curiosity or interest might be there. Might be a feeling of ease or calm or peace. And so as you begin to be curious about this okay relationship, there's so much like delicate, beautiful flavors of the mind 
that we can begin to taste, that we can begin to connect to. And the mindfulness of those, being aware of calm, being aware of peace, of ease, of contentment, of delight, of allowing, being mindful of that increases the likelihood that they will arise in the future. Mindfulness is, is this wonderful, it's this wonderful thing that when we, be, when we bring mindfulness, when mindfulness is, meets reactivity, because that mindfulness understands the non-well-beingness of that in the moment, because it understands it's not conducive to well-being in the moment. When we're mindful of reactivity, it creates the conditions for that reactivity to diminish. But when mindfulness meets these beautiful states of mind, of love, of compassion, of joy, of equanimity, calm, peace, it understands in the moment, the mind understands in the moment that this is conducive for well-being. And the mind wants to head in that direction, so it tends to head us in that direction. So in the noticing of the relationship, don't forget to check in for the okay ones too. So it's time to stop. Thank you for your attention.